1: Welcome to another episode of Bleach Fest.
0: Hello.
1: Today, we're going to talk about horrifying deadly pandemics. But first, how are you? How have you been?
0: No, oh, I'm great. I uh having a good time. I just turned 25. Mm. I uh, am an adult. <laughs>
1: Well, you've been an adult for seven years now.
0: Yeah, but it, it hits different when you when you turn 25, I feel.
1: When you're no longer a young twen- a young adult. Yeah. You're no longer I'm a,
0: not, I'm not in my a early young tw- 20s. I'm not in my early 20s anymore. And you know what? It feels great. <laughs>
1: the forced smile, dear listener. <laughs> the forced smile. No! The effort that goes into it.
0: No, listen. Okay, I had a little bit of anxiety about it. But at the same time... I feel like every person has an age that fits them just right. Mm -hmm.
1: 63.
0: I I think mine is like 35, you know?
1: 35? Yeah,
0: 35. Like when you have your life together, you got money, you don't have anxiety anymore. Anxiety gone. Mm, I'm, we... I'm
1: very confident that a lot of our 35 year old listeners will tell you But that's not how it works
0: Okay, yeah, sure But when you stop being 20, I think you Or in you, your 20s You get a lot of
1: money and you're they cure no, you of your mental illness No,
0: stop, stop That's not what I mean I just feel like when you when you stop being in your 20s You start caring less about what people think and all that stuff You stop, you, you sort of, you get a renewed confidence in yourself And your life and your accomplishments And I'm really hyped for that
1: And you're basing this on...
0: Reddit. (laughs) Reddit told me...
1: Famously the most accurate source of of news.
0: Let a girl dream. I will. Thanks.
1: How are you? I'm okay. I have stress at work on my YouTube channel. but.
0: What's your YouTube channel? It's
1: my name. It's Mia Mulder. I don't do medical history there. What do you do? God knows. This is not a promo show. I'll do my thing in the end.
0: I'm sorry for trying to... Help you
1: out. Okay. Well, today we're going to talk about the
0: <laughs> Spanish flu.
1: Speaking of like horrifying pandemics of last year and also this year, it is a new year after all. It is twenty twenty one. We're still in horrifying <clears throat> deadly pandemic, mm-hmm. and so it's only appropriate that we talk about another horrifying deadly pandemic. Mm-hmm. The, the Spanish flu, as it is commonly known, or incorrectly, as or incorrectly, or as it should be known. The 1918 flu-influenza yes. pandemic.
0: Correct. But Spanish flu is not really the correct term for it, but we might use it for simplicity because saying 1918
1: influenza, yeah.
0: it, it's, it's, it doesn't really have the same ring to it. Um, so... And, and like
1: the Spanish flu... It just flu doesn't roll off the tongue. It doesn't roll off the tongue. And also, the Spanish flu is what people know it as. Yeah. It's not correct. Mm. We're going to talk about, a little bit about that soon. But it is... It is the name. Unfortunately,
0: mm, it's been in it...
1: common parlance.
0: Mm-hmm. It's been etched in history, and us calling it the 1918 flu is not going to change anything. So,
1: yet, once once we once we force this podcast into the ears of every single person on Earth, and it will happen, to your listener, believe me, maybe we can do something about that. Mm-hmm. But for now, we cannot. Um, so okay. the Spanish flu though let's yeah. let's talk about it what is the spanish flu well uh, it was a global pandemic and mm-hmm. it is it was one of the worst pandemics in modern history mm-hmm. if we talk about pandemics that we as a modern society will remember in terms of like news articles mm-hmm. photographs things of that nature mm-hmm. things that seem close to us it's not like the justinian plague which is so far distant to us that we have a hard time understanding really what it is well, the Black Death. We're going to make an episode about it, but we're not going to talk about that Stop right now. Stop
0: telling everyone our plans.
1: <laughs> I it's, Keep it! It's called giving them something. They'll hunger for it. They they want it so much more. I promise you they love You
0: it. gotta keep the mystery alive.
1: Add us on Twitter if you want the Justinian Plague episode. Um, However, this pa- this plague, this pandemic, this influenza pandemic, lasted from February of
0: 1918
1: yep. to summer of 1920. Right?
0: April nineteen
1: twenty. April nineteen twenty. It was caused by the H one N one influenza type A virus, and it um...
0: it infected five hundred million people. It sure did. Which was a third of the world's population at the time. Yeah. And it killed an estimate fifty million people. It consisted of four successive waves, the second of which was the
1: worst. Something we can definitely not relate to. In our current year, in the current pandemic.
0: And it disproportionately affected the very young, the very old, but also young adults. Which is a characteristic of the virus um, that is highly unusual.
1: Mm. And also very bad, as we will hear, for the so-called economy. let <laughs> Economy. Let's... Economy. it's the most important part of society the people dying that's not that important but as we know from the current pandemic the schools and the markets must stay open lest the line go down (laughs) line must always go up remember that but let's talk about the origins Mm -hmm.
0: let's talk about the origins
1: This flu, this pandemic, happens in the year 1918, during which time there is um, uh, some bad stuff happening in the world outside of medical history. It is the so-called Great War. The World War, the first one, and it takes place primarily in Europe, because Europe controls most of the world and they decided to call it the World War anyway. The pandemic primarily spread through this World War from soldiers coming into Europe, on the western front primarily, but also some on the eastern, and getting infected, and then going back to their home countries of America, of South America, Asia, uh, some some parts of Africa, although not that much, uh, taking the virus with them and spreading it amongst their own communities, which is bad. But where did it come from originally to to this war zone? There are three theories as to where this virus may have originated You may think it's Spain, but it's not, even though it is in Western Europe. The three theories state that one of them, one of the origins, and there is evidence for all of these theories, so we don't actually know which one is the true one. One of them says that it comes from the grand old, do you know? America. America. (laughs) It's coming from Kansas, the corn state, I think. I think America has like 14 corn states. I
0: think they do corn, yeah. I think it's, it's big. It's big on corn. It's
1: big on corn. So it may have come from there. The theory is that it comes from American cattle farmers or swine farmers or something to do with animals, farmers generally, and that the virus may have mutated from there.
0: If you're from Kansas, please don't get mad at us. (laughs) (laughs) If you're from Kansas and it's not a corn state, tell us what it is known for, please. We don't know.
1: Is Kansas... Maybe Kansas is the one with the big giant ball of twine.
0: I think... I'm getting... I, I think hay when I think Kansas, I think hay.
1: If you're from Kansas, can you tell? Can you let us know on Twitter what, our, what your state is known for? Is it cows? I don't know.
0: Sunflower state. Welcome sunflower. to Kansas, nicknamed the sunflower state, but also known as the Jayhawk state.
1: Kansas, you're a great state. However, the Spanish flu may have come from farmers in your area. Viruses in your area are looking to <laughs> infect. <laughs> Click now. Uh, There is some evidence for this, because when they found evidence for the Spanish flu, when they found diagnostic proof that this is a disease, and that they could name it, that's where they found it. The very first cases that they were like, this is for sure this flu virus thing, found it in Kansas. And there is actually some evidence for it having a North American origin, maybe not specifically Kansas, but maybe North America. And the theory goes that uh, individuals from Kansas or from elsewhere in North America, traveled to uh, the the seafront, the sea cities, the docks, and it may have spread to people who were going to Western Europe to... To fight in the war. To fight in the war. Or to observe the war. A lot of people just went to look at it for some reason. That's one theory. There is another theory that it may have come from China. China which I'm sure that one American president is jubilant to hear, if they're listening to this podcast, in which, in which case... Get them. Get- <laughs> we have to bleep that. They can, they can f*** right off. Bad. Hope, hope you get impeached. As, as At the time of recording, they, they are still presidents, <laughs> unfortunately. However, it, the, the theory states that the virus may have mutated in China and spread to the U.S., where it mutated and then made its way to port cities and then to the western front, where it then it exploded and spread. And both of these theories kind of hinge on America, so America may, ha- may have had something to do with it. The third theory, though, is the one that has more theoretical backing. The last theory says that the virus may have come from Europe, in an army hospital on the western front, already there. Which I think makes sense considering army hospitals, especially during the first world war, were complete cesspools and perfect breeding grounds for various types of diseases. Nasty. Nasty germs. There is some evidence that shows deaths from flu-like symptoms as early as 1916, so two years before the pandemic really broke out, killing a lot of soldiers. And some studies show that the virus may have been circulating around Europe, even. For a long time, especially among soldiers, uh, for months, maybe even years before 1916, hmm. so it's the this uh, this pandemic, this virus may have been in Europe a long time before it really broke out in a pandemic style. And if there's anything we've learned from COVID, it is that it uh, you it can it can it can hang around for a little time in some areas, and then it can spread like wildfire. But the contention is, we simply do not know where it came from. But what we do know is that once it really became, once it became widespread in the trenches of World War I, and it started infecting returning soldiers, that's when the pandemic of 1918 really began in earnest.
0: So as we mentioned before, the H1N1 virus was the deadliest virus of the 20th century, killing an estimate of 50 million people worldwide. Uh, One thing that was really unusual about the virus was that it caused the high death rate among adults of ages between 15 to 34, which is really uncommon with viruses. Like Usually Mm. viruses um, mostly affect very young and very old people because their immune systems are weakened or not fully developed. Yeah. So it was really weird that this virus had such high mortality rates. Um, it killed people so quickly, um, so violently, and it also affected young adults. Yeah. Um,
1: Which is really impractical because the uh, young adults are, in macroeconomic terms, the backbone of, like, economy. They are mm-hmm. the people who, like, are doctors. They are the people who work. You know, they are, they are the people who, like, drive... Could the drive economy, the economy really, so it, so it's it, really it it's
0: a, it was really inconvenient
1: for sure. It's Very inconvenient for the stock market.
0: Line go down. Line go
1: down. <laughs> we can't have that. But what I'm, but, but I'm saying is, it's like also pretty scary because a lot of people in the current pandemic of COVID are kind of dismissing it a little bit because it only prim- well it primarily affects the elderly, mm-hmm. uh, p- not realizing of course that like old old lives matter, and also that. <laughs> Had circumstances been different, the the virus could have specifically targeted this generation, of equivalent of millennials, mm-hmm. which is spooky.
0: Yeah, it's kind of spooky to to know that had you been born a hundred years ago.
1: Oh, the Spanish food would have got me. Yeah. Well, first with of, your
0: f- with your eating habits. <laughs> <laughs> I I mean I know you well enough um, to to know um, that it's...
1: I eat primarily donuts and Red Bull. Mm-hmm. What is what. What is the 1918 equivalent of donuts and Red Bulls? They C- had donuts. C-
0: cigarettes and cocaine.
1: Cigarettes, cocaine, and donuts. <laughs> I was about to say I would probably have been drafted into the First World War, but that's not true because my heritage is neutral in the First World War. Anyway. Dark topic. <laughs> Millions dead. We're laughing. We Millions watch? people are dead and we're laughing. I do want to say this, and I'm going to interject this into the podcast itself. We're laughing a little bit here. This is a very serious topic, but I think that it's important to have a little bit of fun. I agree with you. Otherwise, the doom scrolling is never going to end. Like we can be educational and we can be and we can be funny or we can be educational and, and sad. I would rather be educational and funny if it's going to have like a same result. I think it's fine to laugh a bit. Okay. I, th- I don't think we should laugh too much about COVID specifically because that's current it's
0: a little it's a little too soon
1: i think we can joke about the spanish flu
0: okay but of course the fact that the virus affected young people so severely um has made it a very interesting virus to study and has led to people uh wondering over the course of time like what 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 is it about this virus that is the the deal with this virus what's the deal with this virus why is it so
1: (laughs) let
0: me know when you're done (laughs) So this unusual characteristic, in addition to the severity of the virus, has led researchers over the ages um, wonder, what is it about this virus that makes it so dangerous and so, so contagious? And this led to the virus's genome being sequenced in 2004. 2004? Um, 2004? Wow. It took a really long time. Well,
1: I'm I'm guessing it's hard to sequence the genome in 1918. Yeah, and
0: remember that a lot of the... I mean, it was even hard to get a hold of the virus. And this is actually part of the history that I'm going to talk a bit about. Like, they had to to do a little bit of grave digging to actually find virus pieces that they could um, use as genetic material. And the way that this happened was actually by a phd student (laughs) and when i read this i was shook because imagine that being your phd project like you are dig
1: up the spanish flu yeah isn't that wild but it's genius i can i can I, i know for sure that this phd student like sat in a dorm somewhere and just like oh like since their graduate program just like Oh, I'm going to study Spanish flu. <laughs> oh, I'm going to do it. I'm going to dig up some bodies and I'm going to sequence that genome. Anyway, listen. <laughs> what if they got a bad grade?
0: <laughs> Idea great, Execution. Ah. Eh. But listen, okay. So so the virus was actually lost for decades following the pandemic. Until in 1950, this young PhD student who was actually Swedish, named Johan Hultin, mm-hmm. traveled to a little village in Alaska called Brevid. In the hopes of finding viral particles preserved in the tissues of uh, the people who suffered from the virus, because I suppose, I, I guess why they why he did it is, that be, is because of the permafrost, because he yeah. knew that the bodies would be preserved in the permafrost, and he hoped that the tissues would be would just be still be intact and the viral particles would still be usable.
1: That's genius.
0: It's it's a it's pretty good.
1: Cause I was like, oh, well, I I don't know about you, dear listener, but I was like captivated. Like, where is this going? Like, why is why is he going to this village? Like, like, digging up... Couldn't you dig up graves in, like, France and stuff? And then I Had to be up north. It's actually... There's a thing. I don't know if this... Uh, Tom Scott made a video about this for a while ago, a fellow YouTuber, about uh, an Arctic village that is, like, a full town. I think it's in northern Canada, where you're not allowed to die and be buried in the same town because of the permafrost.
0: Because your but, body never decomposes. Because your
1: body never decomposes. So you actually have, when you die, you have to pay a shipping fee to mm. get your body carried somewhere else. Because if you have any sort of viral particle that today may be fine, mm-hmm. we have yeah. no idea it what's going to happen. Like...
0: It would get preserved and then might cause a pandemic yeah. in the future. Like
1: if the, if the, if, like if the common cold, for example, is preserved and then a thousand years in the future it's, it's cured and then it somehow becomes lethal or something, then that could... Cause devastation So for some For this reason They're not allowed to bury do you know, dead
0: Do you know That's an ar- that's actually a huge cause of worry These days Because of climate change Yeah The permafrost is melting mm-hmm. And all the viruses and bacteria That we have not been exposed to ever mm-hmm. Are get- getting released in the atmosphere So
1: I saw a news story Not too long ago About researchers Like looking at Like recently exposed uh, Woolly mammoth flesh mm-hmm. In Siberia hmm that had never been exposed to air be- before, because of permafrost and stuff like that, but now, due to climate change, was not being exposed and was rotting, and they found like ancient worms that had that n- don't exist anywhere today, and, and that were waking up. That after thousands of years, they were like starting to wiggle around a little bit. Do you mean like
0: intestinal bit. parasites, or what do you mean?
1: I don't know. <laughs> What kind of worms tiny <laughs> worms that they were wiggling around like, in the flesh and probably parasites some yeah. sort of parasite which to me is terrifying because this to me is the thing the movie f- the, the thing yeah if if we if we if arctic researchers one day send out one frantic message and then all the communication stops we're not going back there <laughs> we're leaving them <clears throat> i'm just saying this is how you get the thing
0: But, okay, banter aside, let's take this back to the Spanish flu. So, this guy, this PhD student, like I said, so he hoped that the permafrost would have protected the virus particles. So, he had to ask for permission from the village elders, and he had to excavate the uh, burial mounds in this village. And so, he obtained four samples of lung tissue, as well as the intact body of a little girl, still wearing a blue dress and red ribbons in her hair
1: morbid who so died of spanish flu i'm assuming or had spanish flu
0: the the text doesn't say
1: they just got a body for they just, fun they listen. got some lung particles from the virus and, and then, then they, they, just they, got also, an they found body. they
0: found a body it was cool she was wearing a little dress this She was, still she was still wearing a little dress she was wearing ribbons in her hair come on it's cool because you know you hear about this um in the context I'm, of like swamps and stuff but mm-hmm. apparently per- permafrost can do the, the same thing so
1: i'm just I'm ecstatic that this person got permission from the elders. Because usually in history... Usually
0: no permission. (laughs)
1: Usually in history, yeah. They just take stuff. Like some some lad from a university in Europe will just be like, oh, cool barrel mounds you have. And then they're going to like truck it all off (laughs) Would be a shame
0: if somebody brought some uh, excavation trucks.
1: Yeah. So I'm I'm ecstatic that he got...
0: It's very respectful. That he
1: got permission from the elders.
0: Yeah. So, okay. So he had to fly this from the Alaskan village back to the University of Iowa, where he was performing his research. And apparently, so the plane had to make multiple stops in mm-hmm. order to refuel. I think back then, planes had to do that. When was this? In
1: 1950.
0: Oh, okay. And so he had to refreeze the samples using carbon dioxide from a fire extinguisher so Which, he to... again is brilliant i i just love the creativity and the just the freedom that people had back then
1: people could do science however the fuck they want yeah it was i just think it's so so silly though because like he has to stop here and just
0: i think it's great
1: we're going <laughs> oh 10 more minutes okay can you bring me like eight more fire extinguishers cool <laughs> And he had to do that all the way.
0: And he, he managed. I mean, I mean, it worked. He brought, yeah, he brought the, the tissues back
1: frozen. I'm guessing that this person would have to put the bodies in some sort of container and didn't just have them, like, laying free, strapped down and just spray them with the hose. I think
0: he just took the lung tissues. I'm not sure what happened with the body. Well, they um, probably
1: had, like, some sort of container for them. Like, he didn't yeah. just, like, have a little bag of meat.
0: Yeah, I guess he had a container. But anyway, at the university, he attempted to inject the lung tissue into chicken eggs in the hopes that the viral particles would actually infect the embryos. But unfortunately, the attempt failed.
1: Because mm, chickens aren't humans.
0: No, it's probably because the viral particles were not whole. So no, it was no, not no. a full virus. They, okay. they probably were just genetic pieces.
1: Which yeah, are damaged.
0: <clears throat> yeah, okay. they were probably too damaged. Um, but however... Even though this was unsuccessful, 46 years later, Hultin stumbled upon an article by another uh, molecular pathologist called Tom Bamberger, who performed some initial work on the virus as well, by using viral fragments isolated from the lung tissue of a U.S. Marine officer. The same guy? Uh, no, this was 46 different... years later. So... The same guy stumbled upon the research of another guy. Oh, so this other guy did some research on the Spanish flu virus mm-hmm. as well, and so Hultin saw it and he was like, "Oh yeah, I also forty six years ago. I also tried to do something with that." What? Um. So he, you know, he got inspired by it, and he decided to go back to Brevid and uh, attempt it again. So he performed another visit to the village where he recovered the body of an Inuit woman. Whom he named Lucy. He famously used his wife's garden shears to perform the excavation. <laughs> I'm telling you, science was wild back then.
1: No, but this wasn't that long ago. If no, it's four to six af- yeah, it was 46 years after... Yeah. What is this 1996. 96. That's not too long ago. I don't know. I feel
0: like you wouldn't do that these days.
1: I don't know. Did he talk to the same elders also? Oh, you're back? You want You want more? <laughs> It's a complete different set of elders. <laughs> it's kind of wild to me. That They're like, he named... we've, heard, we've heard tales of you. <laughs> it's kind of wild that he actually named the woman that he recovered. Because didn't the Inuits have like a name for her? Or was she just part of some grave? Um, like an unnamed or I'm, in a mound? I'm
0: not sure. Maybe it was a burial, like a mound. Maybe. Like, maybe he just found, maybe it was like a mass site.
1: Maybe. Coming from someone who has absolutely no insight in this and is not Inuit sounds sketchy. <laughs>
0: Following the collection of the genetic material, researchers focused on sequencing the material, particularly the hemagglutinin and the neuraminidase genes. So the hemagglutinin gene contains the genetic material which codes for the surface proteins of the virus. This allows the virus to enter and to infect cells. And these are actually the proteins which are most commonly used in modern vaccines Mm. because they are the proteins which are usually targeted by antibodies. So they are like a major target. Neuroaminidase codes for the proteins which allow the virus to escape an infected cell and enter another healthy cell, which contributes to to the viral spread. So again, this is another really important genetic sequence. Mm. Uh, Further research was conducted until the entire genome was fully sequenced in 2005, but it still wasn't really clear why this virus was so virulent. So, the next step was actually recreating the virus at the CDC headquarters in Atlanta. So, the scientist in charge of reconstructing the virus was named Dr. Terrence Tumpy. And he actually worked on this project alone for security reasons. As you can imagine, like they were trying to reconstruct a virus <laughs> that caused this Spanish flu. Yeah. Like they were. Let's say they were worried about it. They were, you know, they had some concerns.
1: They don't want this to get out again.
0: Oh, yeah. So when I was doing research about this um, and I I was reading this article, there were like four pages of just basically descriptions of like all the biosafety measures that they were taking. Like, because I think I found it on, um, I I think it was CDC, on the CDC page. And so they really made an effort to show us that, like, yes, we thought about this. It it didn't go out. Like, here's all the, like, lab safety measures that we took.
1: We promise. We
0: promise. It's good. Don't worry. Please, don't worry. Um,
1: As we all know from The Walking Dead, the CDC uh, center in Atlanta has a self-destruct mechanism mm -hmm. that can blow itself up and burn everything inside. Is that for real? I have no idea if it's real, but it's in The The Walking Dead.
0: (laughs) Oh, so, of course, it's real.
1: Yeah, the documentary, The Walking Dead, when they go to the CDC center in Atlanta and it burns everything, everything inside. It.
0: Yeah, but so he worked alone on this project and he was only to work on the virus after hours, um, after everybody else had gone home. So he was by himself in the building, just like doing his little lab work on the virus.
1: Every day he's going to work on a stupid little virus.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, But so the way he reconstructed the virus was by introducing plasmids containing the eight viral gene segments into human kidney cells. So he was hoping that the plasmids, which is basically... How do I say this? So plasmids are segments of genetic material which can introduce themselves into the genetic material of other cells. And then the cell reads the genetic sequence... And produces proteins from that. So by introducing plasmids into cells, you basically force the cell to produce the protein that you want it to produce. Mm-hmm.
1: Which is how viruses reproduce, if I'm not yeah. completely misunderstanding. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yay! I knew a thing! Good job. So he was hoping that the plasmids would instruct the cells to transcribe the RNA into viral proteins, and then um, the virus would get built from these separate viral proteins. Mm-hmm. In July 2005 he finally succeeded in creating the virus. To announce it to the rest of the group, he sent a mass email saying, this is one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. And everybody knew what he meant.
1: <laughs> That's cute. It's,
0: it's cute, right? It's, cute. it's
1: really cute. I like, I like that he is... He's known already, like, within his workplace for, like... Yeah, because I think... I just really want to remake the Spanish I think...
0: No, because I think everybody was asking him. Everybody was, like...
1: Everyone wanted to know, probably.
0: Yeah, he was the only person, like, working on it. I guess there was, you know, some... Like, he was a bit... It wasn't, like, a secret, but... I think everybody just was really anxious to see it come to fruition, so...
1: And I'm guessing um, a lot of people like they didn't want too many people working with it yeah like and maybe they didn't need more than one person to i mean i think it would have have helped to
0: have multiple people work on it but i think they just chose to keep it safe
1: especially since it's such a deadly virus i mean even today flu viruses are horrifyingly dangerous
0: Mm -hmm. well it depends on the strain but well it can be
1: this strain is bad
0: (laughs) yeah this strain is bad So the next step after the construction of the virus was to conduct studies involving mice and human lung cell lines in order to establish a bit more clarity on the virus's ability to replicate and cause disease in the host. So the way that they did this was by using recombinant viruses. And the way they did that is by taking um, regular influenza viruses that were genetically engineered to contain certain genes from the spanish flu virus and basically what this means is that they wanted to um it's basically like making frankenstein viruses <laughs> i'm trying to like explain like
1: mm-hmm. i'm trying put to on, put this they in put basic... together parts
0: they put together exactly so they they wanted to um basically break the spanish flu virus down mm-hmm. into its components because they weren't really sure yet which of the virus's components was the one that was making it so virulent mm. and so contagious.
1: Which so, is the bad part. Which is the yeah, was the bad it. part.
0: So they wanted to uh, take it apart and then um, they put it enhanced, back together in many small parts. Enhance the regular flu virus with um, with each part of the the bad virus. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes without saying that the virus was. Very contagious and severe, so you know these these tests do not <laughs> they they uh, they kind of emphasize what we already knew.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, Spanish flu bad.
0: Spanish flu bla- bad. For example, four days after infection, the amount of the Spanish virus found in the lung tissue of infected mice was thirty-nine thousand times higher than the control.
1: That's bad. Rep- what is the control here? Normal yeah, flu. Normal flu. Oh my god! What? Yeah. What? So, <laughs> why? Uh, Thirty. What did you say? Thirty-nine thousand times. Yeah. It replicates. Holy. Fast. There's gonna be some beliefs there, but holy. Yeah. Holy.
0: Yep. Yeah, that's what all the scientists said. <laughs> um. So. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah.
1: Oh my. Sorry. Okay. <laughs>
0: So following the experiments, that's a
1: spicy meatball.
0: So following the experiments, Doctor Tumpy concluded. Concluded.
1: Concluded. Conclu- <laughs> Doctor Tumpy concluded. <laughs> Doctor Trumpy concluded conclu- oh that my God, the stop. the Spanish Flux.
0: So following all of these experiments, Doctor Tumpy and his colleagues concluded that there are three genes and this in this virus that make it so virulent and so contagious. That is one. The hemagglutinin gene and that is the one coding for the virus's surface proteins and that's what makes the virus able to infect cells mm. the second gene is the one coding for the neuraminidase and that is the one which allows the virus to actually exit the cells and infect new cells and then the third one is the pb1 gene and that is a polymerase sub- subunit the function of this gene is um, to code for protein which allows for the virus to replicate
1: so it can infect quick. It can breed quick. Yeah. And it can spread quick. Exactly. So Oof.
0: it it's very it's very efficient at entering cells. Mm. Um, it replicates very quick mm. and it also it spreads um, quick. Too. It also exits the cell um, like efficiently. efficiently.
1: That's yeah. scary as hell. Yeah. I mean, basically almost a perfect virus.
0: Maybe you could say that, yeah. However, Tumpy and his colleagues wrote that the constellation of all eight genes together make an exceptionally virulent virus. No other human influenza viruses tested were as exceptionally virulent. So, you know, there are some genes that are particularly, that make for a very powerful virus, but really it's about all the components mm. together.
1: And it was the worst, the most virulent virus that they had ever tested.
0: Yeah. yeah, Flu virus. It was bad.
1: Is Have there ever been a flu virus as bad as this one? Um, or like in recent like since
0: well the the swine flu virus was one from the same family Mm. Um, and it wasn't nearly as bad but the reason why that might be is because these days we have access to a lot more modern treatment methods Mm. like for example sure the virus killed i mean the virus caused Inflammation in the body. They, I mean, it really, it really, it caused a lot of tissue damage, and the virus itself was definitely a very powerful pathogen. But the reason why so many people died was also because of secondary infections, for example, pneumonia. And back then, they didn't have antibiotics, so those secondary infections um, could not have been Mm. cured.
1: So a big part of why the virus was deadly was that it not only was lethal on its own. But that it like reduced the person's it it made it... people susceptible to other exactly. diseases as well. Exactly. Which yeah. Which again in World War One trenches, bad news.
0: Yeah. Okay, so now lastly, do you want to know why the virus affected young people disproportionately? Yes. So this is because of a phenomenon called cytokine explosion. And basically the way this works is that when the human body is being attacked by a virus the immune system sends messenger proteins called cytokines which recruit different kinds of immune cells Um, because the immune system is very complicated and different kinds of immune cells are responsible for different aspects of the immune response so the cytokines role um, is really to recruit different cells and bring them to the site of infection yeah so all of these different cells come in and they're aggressive so a lot of these cells release chemokines for example which are basically destructive proteins and if you have a lot of these chemokines being released at the site of infection that means that some tissue is going to be damaged and that's just that's just part of it like yeah. that's just something that happens when you become infected but if you have if you have these cytokines recruiting more cells, which release more cytokines, it kind of creates like a positive feedback loop, which means that in the end, you're going to have a lot of like local tissue damage. And this is why people ended up having weakened bronchial tubes and lungs, which cleared the way for bacterial pneumonia. So they had a lot of like tissue damage. Um, and this was especially common in young people because their immune systems were so strong.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's a bit like a burglar invading your house and mm-hmm. you're shooting them with a rocket launcher, mm-hmm. thereby destroying your entire house. In yeah, the process. basically.
0: Like, basically, you're shooting holes into your walls. And yeah, maybe you're going to get the burglar, but you're also going to end up with a messed up house.
1: With a messed up house. So, so it's end... actually kind of better to have a weak immune response in some cases
0: no (laughs) what it just uh, honestly it was just you you got messed up in
1: in different ways in different ways so this virus just says hey screw you yeah No Yeah, no matter who you are or your age group die
0: yeah So, it was clear that this virus was very dangerous, very contagious. Not much was known about it at the time. So, all the stuff that I was talking about, this, these are things that we really found out in 2005. Mm. So, decades later. At the time, first of all, virology virology was a very young science. Mm-hmm. So, we really... I mean, yeah, like, like we said, we couldn't even see the virus until yeah. the 1930s.
1: So, um, these people just had to... They knew something was going on, but Mm -hmm. they couldn't really learn that much about it.
0: Yeah. While not knowing anything about the virus, how did cities deal with it?
1: Well, that very much depended on where we're talking about Mm -hmm. and a little bit about when we're talking about. So most of government responses at this time were not really focused on the virus that much. There were some cities that would have individual responses, but uh, oftentimes federal governments had more pressing concerns, mm. as in the ongoing world war. Yeah. In 1918, the war is still going on, and most governments don't want people to to be distracted from this. So one, one big thing that the government does in many affected countries is censorship which we're going to talk about in a very very short bit, and beyond that, it was really left to to public
0: like, health to agencies, public health agents, yeah. and
1: but and also to like mayors mm. and local hospitals mm-hmm. to like do their own thing. And there are many different var- there are many varying uh, responses mm-hmm. between um, individual cities. So, for example, the city of Philadelphia, they they had been tasked to gather. 250 million dollars for war supplies and they saw an opportunity to have a parade
0: Mm -hmm. in the middle of quarantine in the middle of quarantine well the quarantine well
1: this town philadelphia quarantine no 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 we're not talking quarantine here we're talking about the war (laughs) don't think don't think about that whole virus thing we're gonna get war dollars for our boys overseas
0: did they even have a quarantine in philadelphia
1: No, No. not during the pandemic. And Mm -hmm. this is something that really, um, this was um, something that was a bit controversial. Because the Spanish flu hit Philadelphia on September 19th, 1918,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: from sailors who were returning from Europe. And city officials projected that this parade would only have 10,000 people and many doctors were like, hey, don't have this parade. Do not have the parade. Like, I know the war is important, but if you have the parade, it's going to be a disaster. However, Dr. Wilmer Krusen, the director of Philadelphia's Department of Health and Charities, uh, just said, nah, (laughs) we're going to have this parade.
0: And that's a direct
1: quote. (laughs) Direct (laughs) quote. Nah. And as a result, thousands of people died.
0: Yeah, I read that within 72 hours, every bed in Philadelphia's 31 hospitals was filled. It was filled. Um, this
1: virus hit quick. Yeah. Like, if you got sick on the parade, day after you're in the hospital.
0: Yeah, and apparently following the parade, uh, 4,500 people died in the next few days. Because this is another thing about the virus. Mm-hmm. It, it it had somehow, it, it like, it created complications in a matter of days.
1: Yeah. It, it hit quickly. Mm. And beyond uh so a lot of other cities however they instituted some quarantining mm. uh some curfews mm-hmm. if we, it, and it, because it would depend so much between countries and between cities we can't really name all of them but something that we can talk a little bit about is the more societal response to this mm-hmm. because something that is a parable between maybe not a parable i don't i mean that's not the right word but like uh, an analogy between the spanish flu and the ongoing coronavirus is, for example, masks. A lot of cities is- issued mask mandates.
0: Mm-hmm. Some cities even had um, fines for not wearing masks. Yes. For example, the the city of San Francisco. Um, citizens apparently were fined $5, which was a lot of money at the time, if they were caught in public without masks. Mm-hmm. And they were charged with disturbing the peace also, which I think is kind of funny. Mm-hmm.
1: The San Francisco Chronicle even said that the simplest type of mask was a folded gauze affixed with elastic or tape. Mm. This became like the, the the mask of choice. Today, mm. we have like surgical masks mm. in like pharmacies that anyone can buy. No, but people, back then... People wore cheesecloth
0: <laughs> on their faces. Yeah, yeah,
1: and with tape that mm. they just taped to their faces. With so them. sometimes you works, can see pictures. Works. But here's the thing, though. In many times, they didn't really work that well. I today, think... masks are good. I want to take tell everyone who's listening, masks, yeah, masks this is, are good. Th-
0: this is something that I want to make very clear. <laughs> this is a very pro-mask
1: podcast. podcast. <laughs> However, But masks back then, like a piece of gauze on your face, it is better than nothing. But it wasn't like as effective as it is today. However, the police in San Francisco, they went for uh, gauze, um, which uh, a, a, a journalist said looked like Nine ordinary slabs of ravioli arranged in a square, <laughs> um, and I really want to read this. This is the part of the fun fact that I mentioned earlier, because the uh, they made they wrote a lot about this. They because there were also some room for creativity. Some coverings were fearsome-looking machines that lent a pig-like aspect to the wearer's face. How
0: how did that work?
1: Because they would fold them in various like shapes, it, like they, they would make them look like. Like, like like a snout? Yeah, or like like monstrous snout things. They would still cover everything. So today people have like floral patterns and nice little things. Back then they would like have shapes on there because they would be thick gauze.
0: Today we have cat girls. Back then they were pig girls. Oh
1: my god! And as you say, there uh, the penalty for not wearing a mask was between uh, five dollars and ten dollars.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, or you could have. How much
0: is that in local in in uh, current?
1: I do not know. I think less than $100. I'm going to look
0: and it up. It's still a lot of money. Uh,
1: $65. Nice. Or you could be sentenced to 10 days imprisonment.
0: Whoa. Because
1: as we know, putting people in prison during a pandemic, very smart. On November 9th, a thousand people were arrested for not wearing their masks. City prisons swelled from standing room only to standing room only. So they could just stand, like, packed like sardines. When a judge asked the prisoners, where are their masks... A lot of people said fake names, some said that they just wanted to light a cigar, and some said that they just hated following laws.
0: I heard the people used to... I hate cut... laws. <laughs> I heard, <laughs> heard the people used to cut holes in their mask to be able to smoke cigars.
1: Yes, a lot of cigar smoking back then too. Mm. Outside of some mask policies and outside of some local quarantines, primarily, governments mostly left this to health responders. Mm-hmm. This was seen as a health issue, Mm -hmm. primarily. This was not something that the government would deal with, because currently, as we mentioned, there's a war going on and there is an idea that they should maybe focus on on that instead. And uh, all the responsibility instead went to public health officials.
0: the governments were involved in some way, weren't they?
1: Yes. Despite not wanting to deal with the pandemic, they had other priorities when it comes to the war, for example. Mm-hmm. So the way they dealt with the pandemic was to cover it up, basically as much as possible, mm-hmm. to censor it. Mm.
0: And why was that?
1: Well, when you're in a state of total war, in a, in a world war, you want your entire economy, you want your all of your citizens... To be focused on winning that war mm. at any price. Mm. You don't want to divert resources. You don't want to. Uh, you don't want to distract, and you don't want morale to fall. Yeah, because all sides in this war were censoring it, partly because they didn't want the other side to know how affected your side was, and also because you don't want your soldiers in the trench to think that their coughing means anything more than just a light little snivel. Mm-hmm. because then they're not going to go over the wall and run into into machine gun fire. And for a large part, this was for morale. But a consequence of this was that there wasn't that much of a response otherwise. There wasn't a lot of public knowledge about the pandemic because of the censorship for a long time. Many people thought that because my newspapers aren't really reporting on this pandemic, it's probably not happening here mm. as much. Mm. Many uh, public leaders wanted to downplay the dangers of it Many wanted to compare it to the seasonal flu. Mm-hmm. Can't relate to that. Or they wanted to say the message of the virus exists, but it's only the enemy that has it. Mm. Which means that we are winning so hard. We're mm. winning even more than, than we were before because now <laughs> the enemy are sick. We're fine, though. Don't worry about it. We're mm. fine.
0: Yeah, I, I love how a few countries even passed laws that made it illegal to publish anything about the pandemic, as Mm -hmm. that could damage national morale. So Great Mm -hmm. Britain, for example, passed the Defense of the Realm Act, which was used to suppress news stories that might be a threat to morale. Mm -hmm. Um, The government could slap what's called a D-notice on a news story, D for defense, which meant that the story could not be published because it was not in the national interest. The United States did the same thing in 1918, they passed the um, 1918 Sedition Act, which made it a crime to say anything the government perceived as harming the country or the war effort.
1: Mm -hmm. And this led also to a lot of people self-censoring for fear of, 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 like, butting heads with the censor. So Mm. even though what they wanted, have said, might have been okay. Mm -hmm. They just didn't want to take the chance. So there's a lot about the public knowledge about the pandemic that we don't actually know about. Because people didn't want to talk about it.
0: Now I see what you mean about the mystery. Because so much of it was censored. It Mm -hmm. is, I guess, it it is pretty hard to know maybe, like, the public knowledge of it or the public interpretation of it. Because, I mean, there was no... not, Not so much written evidence of it.
1: No, because even local papers... They didn't want to risk writing it because mm. being breaking the censorship law would be would be bad for business. Yeah. So many people would just try to they wouldn't talk about the pandemic at all because they knew it was bad news, and this led to the pandemic just not being as well known. But there was one there was one country that did write about about the pandemic. Can you guess which which country wrote primarily about the Spanish flu?
0: Could have been Spain.
1: Actually, no, it's Portugal. Yes, it was Spain. Um, Spain <laughs> oh wrote uh, heavily about the Spanish flu because Spain was a neutral in the war. And Spain's very close to France. Was also uh, They had a lot of troop movements through Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were affected by the flu mm-hmm. significantly early on as well. Even their king, King Alfonso XIII, which is one hell of a title, uh, became sick. And he became very sick. So Spain Spanish newspapers, they wrote about the virus. They wrote about the severity of the virus, which is more which is actually more important. Because while newspapers all over the world would like write about that there was a virus going on, Spain was only the one of the few countries that where they would say, Hey, there's a virus. Oh, and it's killing all of us. It's so lethal. Oh my god, holy <laughs> it's so bad here, help, help, help. Whereas in the UK and in America, it's like, it's a virus. Don't worry about it. And this led people to think that the virus had either originated in Spain or that it just hit hardest in Spain mm. because those were the people who were writing about it. Yeah. Lara Vogt, curator of education at the National World War One Museum and Memorial in Kansas City, Missouri, said that it's called the Spanish flu because the Spanish media did their job. That is not something that happened in Great Britain in the US, which has a long history of blaming other countries for <laughs> disease. Do they still do that, do you think? Do you think maybe America has a tendency of blaming other countries for disease? Uh, the, out- the outbreak was also known as the Spanish grip. Or, or the Spanish, Spanish lady. lady. <laughs> it's true. Love that. Love that. Love the Spanish lady. This is why it's important to call COVID, for example. COVID. And not the China virus. Because it uh, even though it does originate in China, it's not that important or representative it doesn't actually provide any useful information for future generations and it doesn't really provide any useful information when it comes to talking about pandemics and if the name sticks it may lead to flawed perceptions in the future like yes the virus is known to have originated in China today but it is not where the virus is most severe by a long shot like it's more, it's currently most severe in America at the time of recording Mm -hmm. and Brazil and India So being a bit more clinical with the names is important, because once a name sticks, it kind of sticks forever, like with the Spanish flu. If we call it the 1918 influenza type A pandemic, no one's going to know what we're talking about. However, in 1918, the Spanish flu is ravaging on, and the warring nations of Europe, they're covering up their flu as much as they can to protect morale and to pretend that our side is doing much better than the other side. However, uh, General Erich Ludendorff's German troops were so badly affected by the virus that he had to stop his last offensive. Hmm. An entire offensive by a general had to be stopped because all of his soldiers were sick.
0: Yeah, i read that actually the Great War ended early because of the virus.
1: It may have. Uh, it is a bit hard to to know. The virus did definitely affect troops of the Central Powers, potentially a bit more heavily than than the entente powers we don't know this to be completely true but it is when you look at the first world war it is it's curious that in 1917 the central powers are doing really well they've knocked out russia from the war they can focus their their troops on the western front the western front is doing pretty badly on both sides pretty, pretty much but suddenly russia is out and then suddenly it ends in late 1918 during the second wave of this deadly pandemic, which infects half of all German soldiers. So one out of two German soldiers on the Western Front has the Spanish flu. That's wild. Um, Wait, why it,
0: were they infected so much more severely than than anybody do. else?
1: Who knows? I don't think there is a. I don't think that there is a direct explanation. Mm-hmm. Uh, it may have to do with like lacking medical supplies. Because mm. uh, the the Entente was being supplied by America and mm-hmm. the world, whereas mm-hmm. the Central Powers were a bit more isolated. Okay. It may have had something to do with just bad luck. Mm. Sometimes pandemics just affect one side more than the other. Fair. But the question about whether or not the the virus affected the war is a little bit of a shake in the egg scenario because the flu made conditions on the front a lot worse, obviously. But it, it is also the conditions on the front that affected how well the pandemic could spread there. Because the conditions were so bad, that's why it could spread so quickly and so easily. So it's a bit hard to know whether or not it actually, like, took hold.
0: Yeah, I could see
1: that. Since the virus was around probably earlier than 1918, it did reduce troop numbers. It took a hard toll on movements and logistics, because suddenly more medical supplies are needed than you would uh, think that you would need. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes a, a, a large strain on the war machine as it is, but we don't know how much it tipped one side or another. It could have, it could have benefited one either side, but it probably didn't make things easier for the generals, I guess. Mm-hmm. To say history.com uh, talks about how the army medical department recognized that the threat posed to U.S. troops, and they would urge officials to stop troop movements, halt the draft, and quarantine soldiers. Something that you can imagine that. The, Generals do not want to do mm-hmm. In this war when they want to send Everyone over to die as quickly as possible
0: mm-hmm.
1: Even Woodrow Wilson President Woodrow Wilson said like Nah, nah, direct quote Again, don't care, pandemic go The only the only real measure That the uh, Wilson administration did To halt the main source Of the virus was to reduce Occupancy on troop ships By 15% mm-hmm. I Did not work Yeah, I can imagine
0: they didn't do much
1: didn't uh, change freaking anything. Uh, people... And this
0: was this was from this was after like intense pressure from from public health yes. authorities and doctors yeah. and journalists just being like, hey,
1: you need please, to stop these you transports need to do something. entirely. They <laughs> yeah. wanted him to stop the transports entirely and quarantine the soldiers when they got back. Mm-hmm. And all he did was like,
0: I guess we'll just have fewer people we'll on just boats.
1: Have we're still gonna have s- percent fewer yeah, people. We're
0: still gonna send all the young people over. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. In tight tight ships
1: As you can see, this did not work out that no. well uh, At the end of 1918, uh, 45,000 US troops had died uh, No one, uh, no one knows how many people they probably spread it to mm-hmm. before they did Some historians have suggested that the pandemic was so devastating among uh, the warring nations That it probably hastened at the end of the war, like I mentioned The nations declared an armistice on November 11th Which is when the pandemic was peak bad mm-hmm. One of the worst things it even interrupted the peace conference in 1918. The year afterwards, when President Wilson came down with a debilitating disease—a
0: debilitating mystery disease—I love mystery how they, disease. I, yeah, and and didn't they also hide it? Like they 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 pretended they were like his
1: personal doctor told the press yeah. that his president had caught a, a cold in the it's Paris just, rain.
0: It's just a little chilly. It's he's just a little chilly. He's, cold. he's got a cold. Don't worry I also, about it. The Spanish read... though, oh. I, really sick as all. Some say that he was so sick that he could not sit up in his own bed and his otherwise consistent behavior. Like he was a pretty stable person, people would say. Yep. Um, he, It became erratic and unpredictable and he was paranoid. He thought that there were spies in his room. Like I think he, he had probably a very high fever. There's still... So I, I heard that there's still some people that argue that he may have gotten a stroke.
1: Yes, that is a theory.
0: But I think most people agree that he actually just had the Spanish flu.
1: He probably just had Spanish flu. A lot of people had Spanish flu back then. Mm -hmm. So while people are dying on the front, from spanish flu and bullets and
0: mustard gas and mustard gas how and is, trench foot
1: transfer, oh god trench foot. how is the response at home because the government is censoring primarily the government yeah the doesn't government want people to the think government think about
0: response is censor um the government isn't really involved in the public health response hmm. so so really it's up to the public health agencies to deal with the pandemic the good thing about it is that they actually had a fair amount of power and authority Due to past sanitation and vaccination programs, the influenza pandemic did challenge that a little bit because previous, like previous methods that they, that they were used to and that they thought were going to work, did not really work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, this is so, not this
1: is not your daddy's <laughs> pandemic, baby.
0: Yeah, so so they got a little humbled by the pandemic.
1: They got humbled.
0: They had a slice what a of,
1: phrasing.
0: They had a they had a little bit of a slice of humble pie.
1: Mm-hmm. In the terms of 50 million people dead. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they were not prepared for an event of this size. Like, I feel sorry for them. Not to mention that the fact that public health agencies were not the size that they are today. There was no WHO. There were like a few guys in a building, free mm-hmm. nerds in a building with two, glasses. Two boys
1: sitting in a building, <laughs> five feet apart, cause the Spanish flu. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, they were. They were a few guys, uh, in a building. But they were not prepared for an event of this size. Mm-hmm. They did not have antibiotics. They did not have a vaccine. Yeah, they didn't even know if this was a virus, was this a bacteria, was it, what, what was this? Yeah. So it's really, you know, I I um, I feel for them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: However, they did know that the pathogen was spread through the air. So, which which was good. It was a great start mm-hmm. in an effort to control contagion. Uh, what they did was they banned public ga- gatherings, and many public institutions were closed.
1: Mm. Which... Can I can I say a fun fact about this? Sure. Because they knew, because because they knew this, a lot of like New York apartments today have like really wide radiators, because they're meant to be operated with the window open. Mm-hmm. Like you're, they're they're so wide and they get they get so hot because you're meant to have the windows open to like ventilate super much because they were built during this time. Fun fact. Mm, fun fact.
0: As we said earlier. Uh, the severity of the implemented regulations really varied from place to place. And really, it really just depended on what the local public health agencies decided.
1: Yeah, what the local doctor wanted.
0: In the United States, there was a committee of the American Public Health Association, which issued measures to limit large gatherings and prohibit non-essential meetings, which meant that basically like saloons, dance halls, and cinemas would be closed. They prohibited funeral gatherings,
1: which... Something's th- happening today with COVID.
0: Yeah. Because they were deemed non-essential. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, must have really suck to not, e- not even be able to Yeah. say goodbye to family members. Yeah.
1: But when you think about it, it is something like in, in this grand scheme of things, like it sucks. But it is for the better. Like you don't want to, you, you do want to pay respects to the dead, but you also don't want to create more dead.
0: No. But look at this though. Churches were allowed to remain open. So the committee believed that uh, minimum services should be conducted and I guess they this this was probably another way to maintain morale. Mm. Um, I guess allowing people to congregate like, in minimally. order to minimally in order to like pray for better times. Mm. I guess this would this really helped people. so I suppose it makes sense.
1: Yeah. Not only is half your family off in Europe to fight a war, half the village half the village is dying from the Spanish flu. And the saloons and cinema are closed, just like today. So it's like, to, it's like last year, but worse.
0: At least we have internet.
1: At least we have a Netflix to like spend our time with.
0: Yeah. Uh, one thing that I found is that streetcars were thought to be a special menace to society. A special menace. <laughs> because they had poor ventilation and they were crowded and unclean.
1: Is that? Oh, I wonder if the Spanish flume may have, may have played a part in the elimination of the streetcar. Because, like, after after this era is, like, when they start being phased out and being replaced with, like, cars. Hmm.
0: Maybe. You should look into that.
1: Yeah, I want to make an episode about architecture sometime on my YouTube channel. I kind of want to make that one here, too. <laughs> but it doesn't really work into medical history that much. Because uh, I love streetcars.
0: We can talk about it.
1: We can talk about it. Are they a menace?
0: <laughs> streetcars. Are they they're, a menace? <laughs> they're coming
1: on your street. Silently and electric.
0: Street cars on my street, it's more likely than you think. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, the committee also encouraged reduced hours in stores and factories in order to prevent overcrowding. Mm-hmm. So this was all in the United States. And compared to other countries, the regulations in the United States were pretty severe. So mm-hmm. like in, in Britain, for example, they were a lot milder. Like they limited music hall performances to less than three consecutive hours mm-hmm. and required a 30 minute ventilation period between shows. So, it's, you know, yeah. they 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 had something, but it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't
1: really much. I'm guessing that a part of this is because the UK at this time is, like, doing, is, like, even more focused on the war than America is. Maybe. Like, America is in the war, but they see it as, like, an overseas problem, and they can, like, maybe focus on it a bit more. Mm-hmm. Like, they don't have to, do, well, the UK is, like, their full attention is on the war. Yeah. So, they don't, they don't even want to recognize it, Maybe. I'm 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 speculating here, but I'm thinking. That's
0: I'm liking the theory. Um,
1: I also just like to trash on the UK. <laughs>
0: An
1: age-long tradition of my people.
0: <laughs> okay, but listen to this. In Switzerland, theaters, cinemas, concerts, and shooting matches were all suspended.
1: And shooting matches. Oh no, the Swiss—they love their guns.
0: And it led to a state of panic. <laughs> They... you do
1: not want to piss off the swiss
0: yeah they i i just i love it they couldn't handle it they, they couldn't like... handle it
1: oh my god yeah you, you... i'm trying to emulate a, this is a swiss worse this is here. worse
0: than the pandemic give me the virus just I, give I'll, me the virus i need take... to
1: shoot my guns i need to be a sing virus. my uh, sing my uh yodels
0: is that where they sing the yodels in the
1: alps yes so they sing it in northern italy switzerland austria and germany
0: you know this podcast is teaching me that i know a lot less than i think i do
1: well there's all
0: these like facts that are coming up they're like i don't know
1: (laughs) did you also know that the swiss love their guns even today i did not Mm. know all a lot of people in switzerland own guns and they (laughs) they still have like shooting ranges as like a big activity
0: Hmm. moving on yes a very controversial measure Was the closing of schools? Have we heard this before? Well, I live in.
1: We both live in Sweden, where schools have not been closed. They've never been closed. Well, I think think people over
0: sixteen do uh, have like online education. I think everybody under sixteen still goes to school. It's wild. Yeah, because
1: kids are immune to all viruses and diseases. It's
0: wild, though. I you know I try I I try so hard to be good and to avoid. Um, gatherings and i wear a mask and everything even mm. though it's not mandatory and then i go to the bus stop and there's like a group of like 10 teenagers just hugging and giving each other piggyback mm-hmm. rides and like
1: just licking, each other licking
0: the inside of each other's mouths mm-hmm. and it's like i'll be living in the- like what do you turn 17 and suddenly you don't do that anymore like i'm i'm sorry but i'm salty
1: yeah you should <laughs> be salty i am salty hey sweden amp up your pandemic response <laughs> We're dying here. Oh not my a joke.
0: God, I want out. So the closing of schools was a topic that was very controversial.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: In Britain, they closed public elementary schools. In France, students with any symptoms and their siblings were excluded from school. In the United States, however, school closures were not as widely accepted mm-hmm. um, as it is today. As it is today. So the the public health committee debated its value. Uh, questioning the effectiveness of closing school against the loss of educational standards.
1: It was controversial to close schools, much like uh, like today, unfortunately.
0: In addition to closing schools, the uh, Public Health Committee also wanted to initiate education programs and publicity on respiratory hygiene, about the dangers of coughing, sneezing, and the careless disposal of nasal discharges.
1: The careless disposal of care of yeah. nasal disposal. I really wanted
0: to say that. It's a I, I wrote it in I quotation it. marks it's in my notes. Good. Um so this the they aimed to teach people the value of hand washing and you know, sneezing in the in your in the in the armpit. Pit not it's not an armpit, it's like the pit of your arm. But it's not an armpit. <laughs> it's not an armpit. Do you in, know what I mean? In, in yeah, the in, in arm, the bend,
1: f- in your arm fold. In the bend of your arm. Yeah.
0: In your arm bend. Um, something
1: that people stopped doing after this, and we had to relearn <laughs> last yeah, year. We had,
0: I, yeah,
1: I'm salty we, about that. I, I, this we're is salty something... a
0: lot about about a lot of things. Oh, but I,
1: I have a special. This, I, I don't know why, but I, this hangs up. I, I go into some sort of feral, demonic rage whenever I see someone sneeze into their hand. And this happened before the pandemic too. Whenever I see someone that's like <laughs> into their hands, I. <laughs> My eyes like tur- light up red, and <laughs> yeah. I want to like cut off their hands because they're oh. now a biohazard. Yeah, I hate that so much.
0: I I have a general. I'm I'm generally displeased when I see people on public transport just being sick, mm. um, especially in these <laughs> uncertain times. Mm-hmm. Whenever I get on the train or I get on the bus and I see somebody just being visibly sick, mm-hmm. not wearing a mask, I see red. Yeah. You come into my town. You come into my train.
1: You come into my streetcar,
0: and you sneeze. So the public health departments issued flu posters to educate the community and reduce the spread of infection, which varied according to the type of community and level of education, mm-hmm. which I think is an interesting detail to mention. They had to, they had to uh, take into consideration how educated people were.
1: Some people just don't know shit about you washing gotta, their hands. You no,
0: know, sometimes maybe you gotta start. From the basics
1: bacteria is a very small organism
0: in hospitals the number of beds per word was decreased to reduce the transmission of the disease those with complications like pneumonia which is very common were separated from the rest to prevent the others from um, from you know progressing to this more fatal disease yeah and then sheets were hung between the beds to, ma- to mimic isolation
1: mm-hmm. um, like plastic today
0: yeah like plastic today you, and, can,
1: you can see how like in, how they had a very similar pandemic response as to today.
0: I think it's so interesting. Like reading this, it's it's like whoa, we're yeah. still doing this and yeah. we're still struggling with some of these aspects. Like really, we're still we messing did,
1: up we're we're, giving basic exactly, protection for exactly. healthcare workers. A hundred years later, we still was, haven't figured out that you, people need masks.
0: You know, it was it was actually a little surreal to read about this. Like it's been a hundred years mm-hmm. and we really haven't learned our lesson. No. Gotta say.
1: And we never will. That's the nature of the species we call that. man.
0: Don't say that. But but they came up with disinfection. So a key aspect of prevention was the use of disinfection and sterilization methods. Not that kind of sterilization. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: um,
0: so all bedding and rooms in hospitals were to be periodically disinfected to kill pathogens and enable ambulance strains. Uh, were washed down with a weak ISL antiseptic solution. Easel? ISL?
1: I have no idea what this word is. Who knows? Um, Drain Cleaner
0: <laughs> An antiseptic hand solution was placed conveniently for those on duty in the influenza ward. Like
1: like at every store shop today. Hold like this is
0: similarity. I'm telling you it's cereal. Yeah. And then we go to masks. So they uh, they did have mandatory masks in some cities
1: mm-hmm. like we mentioned the gauze
0: the gauze the tape. yeah the face masks consisted of a half yard of gauze folded like a triangular bandage which covered the mouth nose and chin there was even a rhyme which was a popular way to remind people of the ordinance here comes a rhyme. comes oh, no. obey the laws and wear the gauze protect your jaws from septic paws We, say it with me, everyone. Oh Obey the laws and wear the gauze. Protect your jaws from septic paws.
1: If we only had this rhyme in February of last year, we'd all be fine. I like this rhyme a lot. Do you want to say it with me? I okay. Um, okay, I need a text. <laughs> Obey Obey the text. Obey the laws and wear, wear the, gauze, the gauze. Protect, protect your, your jaws from septic, septic paws. paws. That's cute. I love it. As Heck. So they
0: found that the mask wearing led to a rapid decline in the number of cases of influenza There was a study in the Great Lakes that did not find such beneficial results however Masks were often homemade and they were made from like gauze they were made from cheesecloth People didn't really have access to like surgical masks or at least like commercially There, there weren't really any like commercially available Masks that we know work. Maybe some of these studies maybe they analyze like samples that were using masks that maybe just weren't as efficient. Mm-hmm. It's it's real it's hard to know with these studies. But yeah. overall most studies agree that mask wearing did prevent the virus from being mm-hmm. spread.
1: At least a little bit. And on that note, can I come in and talk a bit about the anti mask wearing movements of the same day?
0: Please be my
1: guest. So there was something called the anti masked league <laughs> mm-hmm. that, was, uh, that was being formed. And it was formed by many people. Today, we may associate um, anti-mask behavior with a certain uh, political inclination, mm-hmm. but at the time, not so. Uh, masks at the time was often seen as like hiding your... You see, you hide your face. And many people were skeptical of their efficiency. Mm-hmm. And opposition to it was sometimes political. Can you guess which political movement of the 1918s would have an exceptional opposition to masks? It was actually suffragists. You wouldn't think so. But um, many women were critical of wearing masks because they wanted to be visible in society. Suffred, uh, this is according to the New York Times on an article about the, um, about, the, about the masks. Suffragists fighting for the right to vote made a gesture that rejected covering their mouths at a time when their voices were crucial.
0: Maybe, at hold on, an- maybe. Do you think there was something to do with like they did not want to be silenced?
1: Yes. So no, some- it's a something- symbolic silencing of right, having. Right,
0: exactly. This. I can see that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really interesting. I have no idea.
1: At the annual convention of the Illinois Equal Suffrage Association in October of 1918, they set chairs four feet apart, closed door, at the public and limited attendance to 100 delegates. But the women showed their scorn for the masks. And one reason. Alison K. Lange, an associate history professor at Wentworth Institute of Technology, said one reason could have been that they wanted to keep a highly visible profile. They wanted to be seen as women. They wanted their icons, their leaders, to be visible and not hidden away, looking like generic. Uh, they wanted to make sure that their leaders were familiar political figures among the people who attended. They wanted the audience to see, like, oh, that's that person, that this. And you can't do that if you're wearing a mask. In uh, the San Francisco mask ordinance expired after four weeks at noon on November twenty-one, and the city and the church celebrated. And a lot of people wanted to show their scorn for masks because San Francisco, as you mentioned, had uh, a mask policy. Mm-hmm. But when when it was over, one delinquent wanted to like show his scorn for the mask so much that he blowed his nose off his face, like he so his mask flew off flew off of his face. And almost ruptured his ear.
0: Oh no. Like
1: he really went into it. He then stomped on the mask and uh, police officers watching it said, yikes. <laughs> the uh, public
0: response was, yikes. They
1: freaking, they freaking, they hated this. And this is during the first wave. The second wave hasn't come here. And as we mentioned, the, the second wave was even worse. By December, a month later, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors was again thinking maybe doing a mask requirement and they met testy opposition. There was almost a riot outside of the uh, town hall mm-hmm. where people were outside and they were so angry about they put even the potential of a new mask requirement.
0: I don't get why why are people so against where I mean okay, so I understand the the symbolism you know the the silencing symbolism mm-hmm. I get it
1: there is a there is an answer.
0: okay, let's hear it.
1: Uh, things were violent and aggressive, but it was because people were losing money. Mm-hmm. It was not a constitutional issue or a rights issue. It was a money issue, because masks were expensive. Not everyone can afford gauze, mm-hmm. and you have to clean it. You have to reuse it. It's expensive in the long run, and a lot of poor people can't just buy masks as they were, because they were not provided by the government. Yeah. So a lot of people were. Well, like,
0: they should be if... provided. I agree with this. They should, especially be provided. if they're mandatory. Yeah. Yeah. I see. And that. so
1: a lot of people were really upset that this this simply couldn't work. So we're seeing, interestingly, a completely different type of mass opposition today mm-hmm. than from then, but still, to a, to a similar type of pandemic response, yeah. but for wildly v- 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 different reasons. Yeah, isn't that interesting?
0: History repeats itself.
1: Well, it doesn't, but it rhymes. That's <laughs> what they say. <laughs> History right. isn't cyclical, but it does rhyme.
0: We've been talking about this pandemic for for a while.
1: For a while. I've got We've edited out maybe three quarters of this podcast. We've been recording for eight hours.
0: I'm sitting I'm sitting, I'm looking at my computer. We we've been talking about it for two hours and twenty eight minutes.
1: Which Um, to you is maybe a minute forty two, hopefully. Something like (laughs) that. If I'm wrong.
0: We'll see how we edit this. We're tired. But but okay, so it's it was it was a big deal. It was a big global phenomenon. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a war going on. Mm -hmm. People were dying like flies. Mm-hmm. How is the the economy faring? Well, of this? course,
1: this is the most important part of any of any discussions about any pandemic. We need to think about the market. Well, the market wasn't actually that affected. Mm-hmm. The economy wasn't actually that affected by the virus because remember, it's a world war going on. The the things economy, are already bad. <laughs> the the economy is already sort of focused on making like arm like armor and bullets and rifles and uniforms that's basically what the economy is doing right now so any damage to the economy caused by the virus is very hard to measure because mm-hmm. well, the economy doesn't really exist right now we're in a war we're mm-hmm. making we're not making consumer goods we're not doing a lot of that we're currently doing war material so th- so it's hard to know how the virus impacted the civilian economy because the civilian economy doesn't really exist At this moment, in a big, uh, in a big way, as it does when it's peacetime.
0: Yeah, I guess. I guess. I I mean, I you know, I'm not a historian, but it seems that people would be. Well, if if I had to guess, I would say that like civilian economy would be like almost frozen. Like people wouldn't really be buying much other than, you know, basic necessities. Yeah, it was
1: basic necessities, like and a lot of rationing. Like uh, Mm -hmm. if you could avoid using up materials that could be used for the war, then you should. So. so they, it was very much like on a break So it's kind of hard to measure The impact of the virus itself on the economy Because they, the war had already like Devastated the economy But what we do know is that Quarantines for example Slowed down uh, stores that were open Cinemas as I mentioned um, Saloons etc These type of institutions Couldn't really go on as easily Because They can't be open all the time a, bit, a little bit like people talk today about like how restaurants are struggling because of COVID. Some communities were harder hit than others. The economic impact or like the societal impact could be devastating depending on the size of the community and the size of the economy because the virus did kill a lot of young adults. Young adults are the people who do a lot of the work, a lot of the labor. So many communities were completely devastated. The impact of the virus would affect society to a level where it couldn't operate as much anymore we have and i guess
0: i guess that's why to go back to the censorship part that's that's also why they censored because if people knew of the extent of the virus they would just stop working and then war production and war production
1: would stop slow down the economy would probably crash even more than it already is yeah it's like they really wanted people to keep going to work yeah otherwise you're not getting you're not you're gonna get less bullets for the front yeah Today we have advanced logistics and trucks and everywhere, and we're in peacetime, obviously. But in those days, if your milkman doesn't come to your house to give you milk because you he's milk. sick, you'd, you sucks, <laughs> you don't got no milk anymore. Get your own milk. No, you can't because you don't own a cow and there's no cow near you. Get to know a cow or a new milkman. You can't. The, your milkman won't come because he's sick with with the Spanish flu. He's dead because the virus killed mostly young adults, or a lot of young adults. And it coincided with the First World War, where many young adults would be drafted into the military, where many young men would die. It affected much of outgoing economies. Men were also a bit more affected by the virus than women because men were also more outgoing. They would like go around and mm-hmm. be social. Women mm-hmm. would stay home more, mm-hmm. which meant that they died more. And because men did most of labor in those days, economy is even more impacted. uh, Because men, as we all know, like to go out and interact, lick their faces of their friends, while women stay at home with, like, two friends. (laughs) And so it works. And so the economy was struggling a little bit, struggling for many different fronts, partly because they were not doing civilian material and also because like workers are dying yeah. because of the flu and staying home uh, or they're being sent off to war. It's hard for in- industries to get workers at a good rate and it's hard for them to sell the things that they need to the people who are-, are remaining. But you know one industry that is doing great during this time? There's one industry that is thriving during this pandemic.
0: The cheesecloth industry.
1: The American healthcare industry, <laughs> because this is the beginning of the really like industrialized American insurance and healthcare industry, huh. and it is thriving during this time in America and in many other countries as well. Healthcare at this time is still primarily private. Uh, hospitals are also mostly private, so insur- health insurance salesmen, they they go around and be like, hey. Weird uh, virus, huh? From Spain. Do you want to buy some insurance in case you get (laughs) sick? You won't, obviously, because things are going weird. Do you want to buy some insurance? And then they'll sell sell insurance for everything, but it doesn't cover the Spanish flu. Oh, no. (laughs) Something like that. Like, they will be like, it's a general health insurance, but not for the Spanish flu, because that's in Spain. It's far away. But people are getting sick, so that's weird. You should get health insurance. A lot of people going to hospitals, obviously, getting saddled with medical debt that they cannot afford. So at least in the very end from this... Uh, the healthcare industry is reporting record profits, and some bureaucrat who, like, owns stock in various uh, hospitals that forces the poor to, to pay for basic healthcare during a pandemic, they made some money. So, you know, it's impossible to say whether or not this pandemic was bad or not. <laughs> Obviously, after this and the Second World War, uh, most countries who have since decided to have a healthcare system that doesn't actually punish poor people, but there are still analogies to make here to America... <laughs> Where still a lot of people are being forced to pay exorbitant amounts uh, for their own basic healthcare during a pandemic. Yeah. That's the economy. So, when discussing the public health response and the economy, we've made a lot of uh, comparisons to. The modern pandemic. Yeah, I feel like COVID. a
0: running theme for this episode has been, whoa, it's so surreal how, like, it's so similar to what we see now.
1: It's just like COVID. Uh, it's
0: just like COVID. Um, And it's true. It's, well, well, it's not, okay, I'm not going to say it's just like COVID, but let, let's say, let's put it this way. We're not the first ones who um, notice certain similarities between um, the Spanish flu and COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely differences between between the two. Mm-hmm. So the first one, for example, would be that for the Spanish flu, it was young people who were most at risk, which is not something that we see with the COVID. Like, no. As we know, it's mostly elderly people who are yes. most at risk. I would say another really important difference is that, you know, back then, like I said, people didn't even know it was a virus. And it wasn't until like decades after yeah. that they could actually like see the confirmed that it was a virus see it under a microscope and way later um actually sequence it and properly study it
1: they probably already sequenced COVID.
0: yeah oh yeah like months ago like you know within the first month of of um the virus becoming um widespread they sequenced it and it's it's honestly been so impressive how much of an organized effort the, the the study of the virus has been like, mm. it's it's. Because we been have so like cool. big
1: pandemic responses now. We have like yeah overarching health organizations. But
0: it's been so cool to see. You know, I I I, uh, I I'm educated in biomedicine, and so I was still working at a lab, at my university when this whole thing started and i remember how cool it was to hear that all the virology labs in my university dropped everything that they were doing and started started working on on covid mm. and i just think it's so impressive how how much of an organized effort we had in the face of covid yeah. which is not something that could be said about the spanish flu
1: it would be hard to imagine how how covid would have impacted a time like that. I mean, is it, it is a different virus from the Spanish flu, but I'm also thinking like, cause if the Spanish flu hit today, we would probably hit handle it a bit better. Yeah. Than, than, than they did. Yeah, like the sure. swine flu happened in what two thousand and nine. Yeah, which is
0: a similar strain to the Spanish flu, and and we
1: did it when it, we yeah. handled it fairly well. Um, yeah. I'm thinking COVID would probably have been rough. One thing that I managed to find during research about this about the Spanish flu was that in two thousand and thirteen. And I think this this isn't a direct comparison with COVID, but I think it's apt. Mm-hmm. In 2013, the AIR Worldwide Research and Modeling Group, they characterized the historic 1918 pandemic and they estimated, they did some calculations to see how a modern pandemic might affect the world as it is today. Mm-hmm. And this was obviously before COVID. So mm-hmm. now we have the real world experience <laughs> and also this model. Now we got the, the free trial. The, oh my God and this and this uh, institute this group they estimated that a modern spanish flu event mm-hmm. would uh, probably result in life insurance losses they start with this first for some reason of uh, approximately 20 billion dollars in the us alone with roughly 188,000 to 337,000 deaths in the united states covid is doing worse than this mm-hmm. Uh, and I just, I just think it's interesting that like, even though we have the data from the Spanish flu, and even though we've learned the lessons, and even though th- we've made models on a similar type of event, and people have predicted that probably a coronavirus will break out, mm-hmm. like people knew that a coronavirus would break out, maybe not COVID,
0: where a, a, a viral pandemic would break yeah.
1: out. Despite this, we're still we're s- we're still we're very we're Ill- dropping prepared. the ball. Yeah. Because I'm just thinking, like, in with the similarities of the pandemic responses, when we talked about it being a very local thing, this is something I, I feel like we can see in America, mm-hmm. where, like, various states will have widely different responses to the pandemic. Yeah. Um, and even within Europe, like, a lot of European countries did lock down very hard. Many Scandinavian countries locked down fairly hard. And then Sweden just didn't get the memo. I'm, I'm wondering if we understand the gravity of the situation now of a pandemic like the spanish flu or if we're just still a bit incompetent or maybe a bit arrogant in our abilities
0: i think part of it is arrogance but also we just don't want to see the line go down you know speaking about economy I mean this, economy. Is, this is i mean it's just the argument that you keep hearing over and over again you gotta People, protect the economy. even the fact that you know, despite seeing how bad censoring, censorship was mm. for the pandemic back then, we still... Today, Yeah. you know, the United States has... We know that it's been um, hiding the real numbers. Yeah.
1: Like, uh, Trump has been, like, downplaying the severity of the virus for a long time. Yeah, and uh, Trump is not the, the only one. The health administration took over the data from the CDC. Right. And suddenly, and suddenly the infection numbers started dropping off, yeah. even though deaths kept going. So... Fudging the numbers there, probably. Yeah. And there are some criticism of China, for example, that they didn't like disclose the severity of the thing mm-hmm. of beforehand. So mm-hmm. that's censorship and, like, on their part for potentially sabotaging some, some response early on. Yeah, exactly. It's unclear how much of that is true, though, but that's because China doesn't really give out a lot of information to the rest of the world. Another like difference between this pandemic is probably how just the world existed. Because like. mm-hmm. the, the world at that time... The majority of travel that's going on then is the war, which is why the pandemic really yeah, took its hold in that's Europe. That's
0: how it really spread.
1: Yeah, exactly. Whereas today, it's more travel related. Isn't it? It's spread primarily by planes. People getting people are going on their planes and they're going to other countries and with the virus, they don't think they don't, they don't know that they're sick and then they're spreading it. Yeah and i wonder like whether
0: i wonder whether uh city density also has something to do with it
1: probably like cities today are way more dense than the, than they were back then and also the virus is affecting like primarily like densely populated areas and countries but also wealthy areas and countries mm-hmm. because there is a because those are the people who travel a lot like i remember early on in, in the pandemic where people were the early outbreaks in europe they would be at ski lodges in, yeah. in the alps and yeah. in, and Italy tourist resort, resorts, resorts really. like that's where people would go and they would spread it around with their with their other people there. So back then, like if you wanted to travel somewhere, you went on a boat. <laughs> if there hadn't been a war, and on... it wasn't your choice. <laughs> well, 1918, you can you can still travel by yeah, choice, okay. Um, uh, if you're a man, and um, if you got money, if you got money. Now it's so much easier to travel for more people, and like wealthy countries travel so much more than people traveled back in those days. So that's probably something that is helping this pandemic really spread. I'm actually considering this when we mentioned it earlier that like if COVID existed then, and there wasn't a war, it probably wouldn't have spread. Mm-hmm. I'm also thinking even with the Spanish flu, if there hadn't been a war on, it probably wouldn't have been a pandemic mm-hmm. because there wouldn't have been much travel. So the the world just looks more ripe for infection now than it used to do. I I guess one thing to take away, a dark thing really, from the Spanish flu lesson is that we didn't really learn that much. How much do you think we're gonna learn from, from this one? But I wanna talk a bit about the legacy How will we prepare for future pandemics if we don't even learn currently from our own pandemic? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of people now are aware of the Spanish Flu. But just a few decades ago, it was almost entirely forgotten. Mm -hmm. Most people had no idea what the Spanish Flu was. Very, very quickly after the Spanish Flu was, um, was dealt with, it became forgotten. Probably as a result of censorship. Uh, and the war takes up a lot of mental energy. Like if you're gonna remember one thing from 1918, it's gonna be like the war. And people just don't want to remember times when things were awful. Yeah, you don't I... win a you know you don't win a war against a pandemic. You just sort of like but we are so good at coping mm. <laughs> that we don't actually want to internalize our failures mm. as a, as a society. And but we also species.
0: but we also suck at like doing things now to prevent catastrophes later. Yeah. Climate change. Climate change.
1: Future pandemics.
0: Future pandemics. I mean, as soon as the vaccine comes out.
1: Oh, if people are going to forget this instantly.
0: This ever happened. People want to go back to yeah.
1: normal so bad.
0: I don't. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to be cynical about it, but it just feels like people are very quick to forget. Yeah the things that may happen. And I feel like the COVID pandemic is almost like... I don't want to say it's a good thing, but it's a, it's a very real reminder mm. of what the world might look like if we don't change the way we interact with nature yeah. and, you know, we don't change the way that society functions.
1: There might be a little cause for hope there because mm-hmm. after the 19 pan- 1918 pandemic, a lot of countries did, like, they changed their healthcare systems to become more open to more people. They became... They were, starting of the welfare state began in some areas it took took a second world war to really kick things going but hopefully we don't need two world wars to make us realize that maybe we should uh, change the way our world works we're ending this episode as a sort of like summary on pandemics in general and we've done some comparisons to covid but there's not like an end to this story because we're like in we're in a pandemic right now it's not over and we're gonna have pandemics in the future almost right. guaranteed. So there's not a conclusion here. Yeah,
0: it feels a bit unsatisfactory, and I really wish I could have like a you know, a definite conclusion, yeah. some, some some words of like optimism yeah. to share with you right. or to to um
1: well I'm guessing that is, that is the like masks are good.
0: Masks are good. Wash your Shards. hands. We're hoping for a vaccine soon and I hope that you know, there's this new strand of, of COVID and mm-hmm. In uh, the UK, and also recently in uh, Sweden. Mm-hmm. Let's hope that... Well, and the vaccine is supposed to still work. Yeah. Even against that strand. Let's hope it doesn't mutate further.
1: Mm-hmm. Hopefully vaccines are being rolled out well. Yeah. We Hopefully they're going to amp up production.
0: Yeah. And I hope that everybody's... We hope that everybody's staying safe. Mm. We hope to be out of it soon. Wash um, your hands. Wash your hands. Stay at home if you can. I guess it won't be the last pandemic that we experienced, but...
1: Unfortunately, unfortunately, not.
0: I, I don't I don't fully believe it, but let's hope that we learn something mm. from COVID.
1: So that's our episode on the Spanish flu. Yeah. A long and.
0: A, a long and a long
1: and long episode. Longer than we thought it would be. There I thought it would be a short episode.
0: Yeah, I had a lot to say about it.
1: Well, you knew you knew a lot more about the science part of it than I thought was available because here i am the historian thinking well okay well it only lasted a few years and they (laughs) didn't know that much about it how much can it be and then you go in talking about 2005 and stuff yeah which is outside of my wheelhouse so i apologize for not knowing about that but it's very interesting history about it though and it's interesting how how people dealt with it
0: yeah and it's uh how did it go away
1: though how did this pandemic stop?
0: Yeah, I mean, it kind of just tapered off, right? Like, some people got immunity to it, mm-hmm. other people died, and then the rest were just kind of protected by herd immunity. Hmm. So, so, it was um, over as quickly as it started.
1: So, basically, the worst case scenario, because, like, there's... It just kind of um, infected its way through the world. Mm-hmm. Almost like COVID.
0: Yeah, but the problem with COVID is that immunity is very low.
1: Hmm. But it's been a fun episode, despite yeah. its dark and dystopian outlook on the future, and yeah, uh, for sure. the fact that we can't learn anything, and <sighs> millions of deaths, and war, st- stonks go down, um, health industry up, though, so, you know. Maybe rich
0: people got richer, though. Ri-
1: some rich people got a lot richer, so... Thumbs up. Thumbs up.
0: Um... Ever the optimist. <laughs> Right, but no, I had a lot of fun recording this, and I hope that it was a fun episode to listen to. Yes. Um, as well.
1: If you like listening to this episode, you can actually, we have a Patreon now.
0: Yeah, we do. And uh... and we have some patrons. And we have some patrons, which we didn't we, think we would we have. We didn't think we were going to have. And we were, we are so thank you to everybody thank who you. is supporting this podcast. We'll really... start
1: shout outs and thanks after the end of your first month. So, yeah. you have to actually be a patron for a month, and then then rewards will start rolling out.
0: Yeah. But thank you to everyone who enjoys our podcast mm-hmm. enough to support. It really means a lot, and it, uh, it tells us that you want us to keep doing it, so yeah. that's great.
1: You can follow us on Twitter, on um, twitter.com slash leechfestpodcast. Mm-hmm. We, we're on Spotify.
0: On Spotify We're on and...
1: rss.com, and we're... We've, we've sent in our applications to be on Google Podcast and iTunes. Yeah. If we are on iTunes right now, rate is high. I think people still do that on iTunes.
0: I don't know. I don't use it. Apple products.
1: Neither, but we're on there maybe soon, so...
0: That sounded so condescending. <laughs> I don't, use, I Apple don't use Apple products. I don't use Apple products. I only am... use
1: Android.
0: I don't buy into capitalism.
1: Blah, blah. <laughs> Are we gonna and then that? we all died from the Spanish flu. Well, if you like if you like our content, you can do that. Uh, do you have a social media profile that you want people to follow? Well, I do, because <laughs> I'm a YouTuber full-time. I do this as my side gig, because uh, it's fun. Uh, but my main stuff you can find on YouTube.com slash Mia Mulder. Or on Twitter.com slash Politics. Go to MiaMulder.com. Um, And I'm on there. We we should also soon have a website. Leechfestpodcast. No, leechfest.com is what it's called. We own the domain. I got it. You can't have it. (laughs) I got it. Um, Are we
0: paying for it yet?
1: Yes, we are. I paid for it. it. We have paid for it. We don't have a website yet, but we do own the domain. Cool. So uh, if you're listening to this and you go to leechfest.com and you find something there, cool! There's probably nothing there yet, though.
0: Once again, thanks for listening to our podcast. Stay safe. We're... We still don't
1: have an outro phrase.
0: Stay safe. Wear a mask. Um...
1: No, we need an outro phrase. This is a good banter. We'll keep this in the podcast. This is a good banter. We'll... We a good banter. We...
0: we'll find an outro phrase.
1: One day we'll find an outro phrase. One day. One day. I need to say that loud because I was super quiet last time. One day we'll find an outro phrase.
0: <sighs> One day we'll find an outro phrase.
1: We need to find an afterphrase. <laughs>